journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua Tov and welcome to 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Adol Kazilski and we are traveling through the Bible. And uh, we're at a very exciting stage now. There is just so much to discuss. We are doing the book of Exodus, the book of Shemot. We are on chapter 2, and we are going to be starting on verse 5, just to pick up where we left last time. Um, Moses is born. Moshe is born. Uh, he's hidden away for three months by his mother, Yocheved. He comes out early. Um, she manages to hide him, but eventually it becomes too difficult to hide him, and she brings him to the river in a reed basket and um, places him just on the banks of the river, and she appoints his sister, Miriam, to watch from afar and to see how providence is going to play out. And in fact, it didn't take long. We are told it took 15 to 20 minutes and Pharaoh's daughter uh, arrives on the scene. Now, just to give you a little bit of background about Pharaoh's daughter, we don't see her name right here in the Chumash, but her name was Batya or Basia, whichever way you'd like to pronounce it, Ashkenazi or Sephardi or Ashkenazi. So Batya, um, albeit that she is the daughter of Pharaoh, is a very intuitive young lady. And she sits in in the court of Pharaoh and she see, she saw all the deliberations and stuff that was going on backwards and forwards with regard to the killing of the Jews. Um, as time went by, it repulsed her more and more and more. She was, as I said, very intuitive. And she, like our forefather Abraham, came to the conclusion on her own that all this idol worship, all this thinking that Pharaoh was God himself, all this genocide, all of this was completely morally and integrously incorrect. And she decides that she wants to throw off the shackles of this idolatrous, despicable society. And she chooses on her own. She comes to her own decision that she is going to convert to Judaism right under the eye of Pharaoh. She is going to renounce everything Egyptian and take on the, 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 the religion of these Hebrews that have been so despised and enslaved by Pharaoh and by Egypt. And one of the motivating factors was that she could see that despite everything that Pharaoh and his necromancers and magicians and occultists, despite what they tried to do with the Jewish people, they weren't successful. The more they enslaved them, the more they taxed them, the more they made things difficult, the more they were proliferating, the more they were being fruitful and multiplying, the more they, they were strong. There was not a sterile woman to be found. It was just gobsmacking. And she came to realize that obviously the God of the Jewish people had far greater uh, um, providence over the world, a far greater influence over the world than anything that the Egyptians had actually 
um, thought they had or that they were practicing. And so Batya becomes a Jewess. And Providence had it that on the day that Yocheved, mother of Moshe, is taking him down to the, the, the Nile River and placing him into the river. And if you want to know just by the way, um, why she took him to the river, why did she not choose to hide him elsewhere, go listen to the previous podcast on our website on 101.9 Chai FM. You can hear it all there. I explained it towards the end of last week. Um, but at the time that Moses is being placed, Moshe is being placed by the banks of the river, Batya, the daughter of Paro, is coming down with her entourage to the Nile. Fifteen minutes apart from the time that Moshe is placed at the, at the banks of the river to the time that he is discovered. So let's look into verse 5 of chapter 2 and let's see how it all plays out. Vatered bat paro lirchotz al hayor. It says Pharaoh's daughter, whom I told you his name, her name actually wasn't Batya, it was Bitya, but I'll explain to you further. She came to bathe in the Nile. Her girls were walking or went onto the banks of the Nile. She sees the bulrushes, inside, inside the bulrushes. She sees the, sorry, the box. She sees um, Moshe in his basket in the bulrushes. Vatishlachit amata. She um, sends her maid, Vatikacheha, who goes to fetch it. Now, as always, I always emphasize the reason why we need to learn um, the Bible in the original Hebrew is because without it, you will not understand its nuance. And furthermore, in looking at the Hebrew words that will hint to all the nuance, we have the incredible Medrash, um, which is really the stories behind um, all that is happening that, that has, that was written down. Um, and that gives us a fuller picture of what is happening. So why is she going down to Bath in the Nile? We know that she lived in the palace. Um, she lived a very, very opulent life. Um, I'm sure that hot water and tubs of water could be filled for a princess, a, a princess of Pharaoh, and that would allow her to bathe. Why are you coming down to the Nile? Well, the answer to that is was she wasn't coming to wash, to have a bath, even though it says to bathe by the Nile. But in fact, she had decided that day of her own volition, but I want you to, to, to respect the divine providence happening here, that she was going to finally discard the despicable mantle of idolatry of the Egyptians and take on the Jewish religion. Now, what is the final deed that a person who chooses to convert to Judaism do? They go and they immerse in a mikvah. They immerse in a body of water, um, and we know, and this is obviously a great subject that, that would require an hour just of discussion, but I'm not going to get into it. Part of going into the mikvah um, is 
the sense that once you immerse and you come out, you are completely renewed. We have that when we have a person who is converting. The same thing when a woman um, finishes her menstrual cycle and it waits the appropriate seven clean days and she goes into the mikvah after which she is allowed to resume physical intimacy with her husband. It is a change of status. We also take dishes and we put them in the mikvah when we have bought them to change them to allow them to be used uh, uh, to be used in a Jewish home. That's tefillat kalim. So immersing yourself in in, in water completely. Um, changes the status of the person. And it was that day, that very day that Moses was put on the shores of the Nile that Batya came down to the Nile in order to immerse. And look how she immersed. She immersed in the very thing that was idolized by the Egyptians. And it was an act of defiance to go and say, I am now removing from myself any and all obstacles and all ideas and all idolatry and all theory and all everything that the Egyptians want, I in the very place that they believe to be a God, I am immersing and I am going to come out a Jewish woman. So that is why she came down to the Nile, not to have a bath, but to immerse and to become a convert to the Jewish people. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. So she immerses to con- in order to convert, and the next thing that we need to look at is the words "venaaroteha holchot al yad hayor," that her her her, her maid servants. She had an entourage of close on 30 women who would attend to the needs of the princess. They were walking on the on the river. Why were they walking on the river? Well, they actually left her. She told them, go look for precious stones on the river and go see how many drowned babies you could find. And the reason why she sent them away was so that she would be able to have that private time um, in order to be able to do tefillah in order to be able to immerse in the river. Only one one maidservant, which um, the Midrash goes and tells us, was very much aligned with her way of thinking, also understood that the Hebrews had something really special about them. She remained to attend to Batya. So there was only one. The rest of them had gone to look for precious stones. And then Vatere etateva. She looks up and she sees the basket. Now we are told that the angel Gabriel came and what he did was that he pinched Moshe and Moshe started crying, which then gave Batya the opinion to look up, you know, gave her the signal to look up and actually see the teva. Now, where was this table? Where was this little floating basket, this floating little, little, um, little basket? It says here, betoch hasuf. It was amongst the bulrushes. Now, here is something, this is where I am emphasizing again that we need to learn the Hebrew because you will never pick this up in an English or any other language translation. When you go back to verses, and you hear about Yochevet 
putting the basket by the river, it says, Vatasim ba etayelet, she put the boy in it, Vatasim basuf alsfat hayor. She puts him um, on the banks of the Nile River. Now suddenly he's betoch hasuf, he's inside the Nile River. What happened here? So we learned the reason why it says she, they, she put Yochevet, the mother, put Moshe by the banks of the river was because she would not place her holy son in the river because the river was a, a god. It was an idolatrous um, piece of nature that the Egyptians thought was God Almighty. So she wasn't going to put him in a place that they looked on as a god. So she put him on the banks of the river. But when Batya finds him, finds him in amongst the bulrushes in the river, we're told that it was in the schutz, in the merit of Batya, that she, she got to save him. Because again, Batya came down to the river in order to convert. Because she converted, she was now of a status to be able to be part of the divine plan to now raise the holiest Jew that would ever live, Moshe. And so we're told that the basket moved from the banks into the bulrushes, and that was where Batya was 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 obviously trying to to toivel, trying to immerse discreetly. And so that's where she saw him. Now, I just want to tell you a few things about Batya, which are very very interesting. Batya. Um, converted and she eventually joined the Jewish people and she became the wife of none other than a man called Kalev ben Yifune. Kalev became very very famous um, further down um, in time as we go through the, the five books of Moses. Kalev was one of the spies, one of the twelve spies that was sent into the land of Israel to spy to see if Israel um, was 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 how, what the topography of Israel was, and if Israel were how how they were going to conquer Israel. Now, anybody who is a, uh, a fan of Bible and reads the Bible knows that this incident caused a tremendous disaster in the Jewish people. Ten of the twelve tribes, ten of the twelve princes, of the twelve spies that came back, gave a negative report about the land of Israel and told Moses that we could not go back into the land of Israel. And we know from that, that was the day of Tisha B'Av, and um, it was then that God decreed, because of the lack of trust that they showed to the Jewish people, um, that, that, that that entire generation that came out of Egypt was going to die in the desert and only a new generation would would land up coming in to the land. And that's why, really, um, the Jews then wandered for 40 years because we had to wait the entire 40 years for the old generation to die out in order to let the new generation in. But there were two two spies, one of them being Kalev, Ben-Yifune, who completely disagreed with the other spies, and he countered them, and he said, this is not true. God has done so much for us. We see God so, so, you know, God being unbelievably strong. Look what he did to Pharaoh. Look how he took us out of Egypt. That, um, it is incorrect to give such a negative report about the land of Israel. And he counterattacked the spies. Kalev 
um, was considered a rebel. Kalev and Yehoshua, those were the two good spies. And both Kalev and Yehoshua, because they did not join the spies and their bad report, were allowed into the land of Israel. And so the Midrash goes and says something interesting. It says, let the rebel come and marry the rebel. And this is a, 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 a metaphor for Batya and Kalev. Let the rebel, meaning Batya, Batya was a rebel. She rebelled against the house of Pharaoh. She, she, she threw off the shackles of idolatry and all the pagan ide- ideology and she became a Jew. So she rebelled against Pharaoh. Let her come and marry the rebel who would be Kalev who would rebel against the other ten spies and would stand firm and say, God is on our side and we will be able to conquer. So that was the incredible strength of of Batya, um, who eventually lands up marrying um, marrying Kalev. That, that's just something interesting. Now let's go back to the verse where it says, Vatishlach et amata vatikaheha. So she sent she she sent her maid servant um who fetched it. Right? So she sees this basket that's now stuck in the bulrushes in the Nile. Um it had floated there in her schut, in her merit, for her now being a Jewess, and she sends her maid to fetch it. Now, one of the interesting things here is that there is a play on the word Amata. One opinion says that that young girl that was with her, that remained with her. The other, other maid servants had gone on the banks of the Nile. Um, she was only with her and that is who she sent. But there is another play on the word and that is on the word amata. And ama, okay, um, can mean a maid, but it also can mean an arm. And according to this opinion of that it's an arm, it should be translated that she stretched forth her arm and she fetched it. And we are told in the Midrash, little kids know about it. When, when a Chumash teacher is teaching the little grade twos or grade ones, the, the, this Chumash, they ask any little kid. They will tell you they know that what happened to Batya's arm, her arm miraculously became long enough to reach into the river to get the box. Now, why would the Midrash come and tell us this? And again, while, you know, it's incredible to fill the story with so many details and just make it more alive and make it more, more, um, complex and, and nuanced, everything that the Midrash tells us also comes to teach us a lesson. And what lesson is that? Uh, this is the lesson about going out and helping another. Person. Here we have an instance of where there is a Jew, yes, a Jewess, Batya, and there's a Jew, Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is in trouble. He is crying. He needs to be saved. He is at a distance away from Batya. Batya did not ask, is it possible? Should I? Do you think I, do you think that I should do anything about it? You don't see any type of discussion like that. She simply did it. She saw that it was necessary to go and save a crying baby. She had now the neshama of a Jew that exhibits chesed, kindness, and she just did it. Could she reach it? No. God miraculously stretched out her arm. 
What is the lesson? The lesson is when we hear about another person in trouble, you don't sit and deliberate, can I, should I, what do you think, maybe. You go out and do it. And even if it feels like an impossibility to reach them, to help help them, to save them, go do whatever you can. And you are guaranteed that God will stretch your arm further than you ever will believe in order to help another human being. And this is the, the lesson that we learn uh, from the miraculous stretching of Batya's arm. Now, um, the Midrash also goes and says that when she heard the crying, if we're following the opinion that she sent her maidservant, she said, she said to her, perhaps there is a child in the box and it is a shame for it to die. When the when the, 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 the basket comes back and they see uh, Moshe in the basket, by that time all the other maidservants had returned. And now they are witnessing an act of absolute heresy that the daughter of Paroi is saving what seemingly looks quite obviously a Jewish boy. And it says that that they interrupted her and said, Your Highness, if this is a child, it is most probably a Hebrew boy. He was cast in the Nile at your father's command. Now, if the rest of the populace doesn't listen to Pharaoh's orders, okay, but at least their own family should. How can you violate your father's orders? And it says at that instant, the angel Gabriel came and he struck the maidservants on the head and they died. That's why it says her girls went onto the bank of the Nile. It's an inference that they went from this world and died. Some other opinions go and say they didn't re- they didn't die physically, but they died spiritually. Their their, their um, free will was taken away from them. And they lived a different reality where they didn't see anything wrong with what was going on. And you'll see that this theme actually follows because, as we all know, Moshe is brought into the palace of Pharaoh. Pharaoh treats him like a son, and nobody pays attention whatsoever, like, where did this boy come from? Um, and this was part of the, the divine or cosmic amnesia that God put upon them so that they would forget um, where he came from. Vatiftach, now we're going to verse 6. Vatiftach etayeled. She opens it up and she sees the boy. It was a young lad that was leap, uh, weeping. Vatachmol alav, and she had pity on it. Vatomer, and she said, This is certainly one of the Hebrew children. The Midrash goes on and says that when, when Pharaoh's daughter saw the boy, he was glowing. He had, he had a divine radiance. And that was the aura of the divine presence that always was with Moshe. Now, interestingly, it says, Vatere et hayeled, she saw the young, saw the boy, vehine naar boche, a young lad was leaping, was, was weeping. So, who was the young lad? You know, that's not a baby. Okay, so, 
One interpretation says it was, in fact, Moshe the baby. But because he was already destined to be a very big, great leader, and because he, he was glowing, from his infancy he had a powerful voice and it sounded as if already he was a young boy. Um, another opinion goes and says that the young lad, lad weeping was in fact Aaron, not Moshe. What happened was that Aaron actually came with uh, Miriam to see what was going on and when um, when Bacha picked up Moshe from the basket, Aaron let out a weep. He became, he, his eyes started overflowing with tears because he was seeing Miriam, his sister's Navua, her prophetic vision unfolding before his very eyes. And why does she go and say, This is from, uh, this is one of the boys because she looks at him and she sees that he is in fact circumcised. So there was no question in her mind who it is that she was picking up. Now, in the olden days, they didn't have, you know, um, the, 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 the discams of this world and the clicks of this world where you go and you buy baby formula. All you could do is find a wet nurse. And so Pharaoh's daughter picks up this baby. This baby is crying and she orders an Egyptian wet nurse to come and feed this crying baby. But interestingly, this child would not take the, take the breast. So she shooed the one away and she called for another and another and another. But every infant, every Egyptian woman that was brought to infant Moshe, he refused to drink from them. Now, um, that, that, that caused a whole big storm, um, around what she had to do now. With the baby, because every Egyptian wet nurse was unable to feed Moshe. Now the question is, why would a child not be would not feed from any of the wet nurses? So the Torah goes and tells us that the mouth that is destined to speak with me, i.e., God, shall not nurse unclean milk. And since the Egyptians were eating non-kosher food, the milk was then considered unkosher. And Moshe, again, being the very great, great person that he was, refused to to feed. On a more practical level, understand that he was three months old. He had been breastfed by his mother, Yochevet, for those three months where she was she was hiding him from the Egyptians. And so when a child is used to the smell and the comfort of his own mother, then another person um, will not be comfortable for the baby and the baby will refuse. We are told that there was one Egyptian wet nurse that was very um, vus, I don't know what the English word is, she was very um, harsh and she forced, she tried to force feed some milk into Moshe's mouth and we're going to pick up on that um, just after the break. The one thing that I do want to mention before we go to um, an ad break is to tell you that this shows the importance 
of the fact that a Jewish child needs to be fed kosher food from the minute it is born, um, and particularly when it comes to milk, to kosher milk, which we call chalav Israel. So unless there is there's extenuating circumstances, and you need to speak to an Orthodox rabbi about this, um, one should be very, very careful to ensure at all times that a child has chalav Israel. And uh, one one rabbi quirked, well, maybe for Moshe, because he spoke to God, you know, face to face. He needed to have a clean mouth, to which the response was every Jewish child has the ability to become a Moses. And therefore, every Jewish parent, is it's incumbent on every Jewish parent to ensure that only kosher food, kosher milk, chalav Yisrael, um, is given to a child from the time that they are born. This is 101.9 High FM. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. If you're interested in asking a question or passing a comment, 34519 is our SMS line, 0618951019, our telegram number. So here we've got Basia, princess of Pharaoh, finding this Jewish boy, unable to feed him, Quite exasperating. Anybody who's had a baby who's hungry and you can't get him to suck knows the, 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 the frustration. And Miriam is watching from afar. So Miriam steps forward in verse 7. But Tomer Achoto El Batparo, his sister says to Pharaoh's daughter, Ha'elech Bekarati La Isha Meneket Min Ha'ivriyot. Should I go and call a Hebrew woman to nurse the child. Vetinek lach etayeled, she will nurse the child for you. Verse 8. But Paro, Batya says to her, go and find this woman. Um, so, Vatikra etchem hayeled. So the young girl went and she, who does she go and call? None other than, uh, uh, Moshe's Moshe's mother, Yochevet. But Tomela, but Paro, Paro's daughter says to Yochevet, Helechi et ayeled hazeh, take this child, v'hinikihu li, and nurse it for me, v'ani eten et secharech, I will pay you a fee. V'tikach ha'isha v'hayeled v'tinakehu, and so she took the infant and she nursed it. Very interestingly, she gave her royal immunity. She said, take the child, nurse it for me. Don't nurse any other child at this time. This child needs its full nourishment. You can take the child home. Don't be afraid of anything. I will personally see that you are adequately protected and you are adequately adequately paid for your trouble. And the Torah comes and tells us that since why why was Yochevet able to take her own baby home and nurse him? Because that was her reward from God for disobeying Pharaoh's orders and allowing the newborn babies to live. So um, just as God rewarded her on the same day that she placed the son in the river, he gave, a, gave the baby back to her and she was able to hold him in his arms, in, in her arms, nurse him with nothing to fear because she had royal immunity and this is the type of kindness that god shows um his 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 trustworthy uh, to him his righteous people 
Um, let's do one more verse. By Yigdal Hayeled. And so the boy matured, the child matured, she brought him to Paro. By the way, how long did she spend? Two years. Moshe stayed in his own home, and after two years he was brought to Paro. She adopted him as a son. It was Batya who gave Moshe the name Moshe. Remember, his name, one name was Tuvia. I'm going to try to see if I can tell you all the other names he had. But she called him Moshe. Why? It is because I drew him from the water. So Yochevet's mother nurses him for 24 months. He matures. And by the time he comes to Paro's daughter, he's a mature young little boy. It says that Batya hugged him, kissed him. And from that time onwards, he never left the palace, and he was treated as the princess's son. Now, one of the interesting things the Midrash tells us is that at that time, Paro's daughter had contracted a serious skin infection, and she couldn't bathe in hot water. Um, and so she would try get the cool, soothing waters of the Nile to try soothe her. That was one other reason given why she came down to the Nile. But as soon as she touched that box that Moshe was in, the basket that Moshe lay in, she was immediately healed. And so she knew that her relief, her refuah her healing came from Moshe. So when Moshe came back to the palace, she she opened her arms to, to him. And truthfully, all the Egyptians wanted to see this princess's adopted son because whoever looked on his face, we are told, could not take their eyes off him. And even Pharaoh himself had some type of an amnesia and he would constantly play with the child and he cherished him uh, a, a lot. So look at, look at the power. Look at the power of Hashgacha Pratis, of divine providence. Here Pharaoh laid so many elaborate plans that every Hebrew boy would be drowned in the Nile. And now providence directed that the very person who would redeem Israel would, what, what would happen to him? He would grow up in Pharaoh's palace. So God arranged that Pharaoh's nemesis would be raised in his own household without his knowledge. And Pharaoh knew that the child could not nurse from an Egyptian woman. But God made his eyes blinded and he did not realize the child was a Hebrew. Now why, why did divine providence make this happen? Because God wanted Moshe to be raised in a royal court in order that he would learn the qualities of leadership and everything that he would need in order that he becomes the leader of the Jewish, you know, the, the Jewish people. His, his palace ex experiences allowed him then to lead a huge nation. So he understood what went on in the court. He understood how things worked. So he, he it, it would never have been an, an, uh, an overawing experience to go and speak to him. And I just want to quickly share a story um, that happened at three years old. It says that when he turned three, he was allowed to come sit at the royal banquet and Pharaoh would let him sit in a, his place of honor with his wife to his right and his daughter to his left. And there were many, many kings at a particular banquet, many chieftains, everybody was there. And as a little boy would do, a rebunctious, naughty little boy, um, Pharaoh, Moses jumped up and he grabbed the crown from Pharaoh's head 
And as a joke, he put it on his own. And the entire assemblage that was there was completely stunned and it agitated Pharaoh's advisors a lot. Um, and they started haggling. They went and said, you see, this child must have been the one that we saw in the stars. Or they said, he must be the one who, who will free Israel and take the kingdom away from Pharaoh. Imagine, look at the chutzpah. He took Pharaoh's crown and he placed it on his own head. Never seen a child like that, so young and so bold. It's obvious that the child would 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 do this. And, of course, Bilam, the chief agitator and the great occultist, says, Your Majesty, have you heard what has what is going on? Do you notice what's going on here? Remember the dream you had in our interpretation. This child sitting here is the Redeemer of Israel. And now he's beginning to demonstrate his power. And they all start chanting, yes, yes, get the child be killed. Call one of the gods, have him be killed by the sword, throw him into the fire. And Yitro, okay, that's going to land up being the, 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 the advisor that runs away and becomes Moshe's father-in-law says, wait, all this fuss for a three-year-old, I'm surprised at you. What's more normal for a young child to grab if not something shiny? So let's do a test before you all start screaming. He says, place in front of the child hot coals and a dish of gold coins. Now, obviously, the coals were shinier than the gold, but if the child takes the gold, then you will know that it is that that he realizes what he is doing. And I agree then it would be the safest course to kill him. But if the child reaches out for the coals because it's more shiny or like it was like more vibrant, you'll see that oh, well, I'm telling you he doesn't know what he's doing. And why do you have to deprive the daughter of Pharaoh from her beloved son for nothing? And before anybody agreed, this is the test that they put before Moshe. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. So just imagine the scene. A three-year-old, they bring him a bowl of blazing coals that is much brighter than a dish of gold coins. And it says that Moshe's hand went out towards the gold coins and an angel came and pushed. There was like an invisible force and it pushed his hand and instead he touched the coals. And screaming now, because he had burnt himself, Moshe placed his burning hand along with the coal into his mouth and that caused him henceforth to stutter. That's how Moshe got his stuttering. That's how Moshe was saved from being killed. And another level of divine providence is that, remember we said that one of the maidservants squeezed, forced milk into Moshe's mouth, one of the Egyptian maidservants. And for that, because some of, one of the wet nurses had forced some milk into his mouth, the burning coal now cleansed his mouth of its taint. And so Pharaoh's daughter named him Moshe, and that, that landed up becoming his name and the name that we keep until this very day. Moshe had many other names. His father Amram named him something. His Miriam, his sister named him another name. Yochevet named him another name. Aaron, 
his maidservant, his grandfather, the, the Israelites. He had many, many, many names. But the name that stuck for him was Moshe because of the self-sacrifice that Batya took to raise him. And finally, it says that Batya's name was in fact Bitya, and God changed it to Batya, which means daughter of God. And she was so blessed that um, she, when she died, she entered Gan Eden while she was still alive. Why? Because it says whoever saves a single Jewish life, it's counted as if he saves an entire world and God gives good reward to him. And that concludes that. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. I can just see in my mind's eye the the drama unfolding at the River Nile and in Pharaoh's court. And uh, you're going to have to wait for the next episode on 101.9 Chai FM.